Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. I have some people up here saying, so that's what you look like as they look. <laughs> yeah, it is good to see some faces here right now. I do want to reiterate a couple of things before we go on. Right now, as you know, masks are, are no longer required. That is our policy. But we have always been, as Jake was saying, uh, trying to go off of the best medical information we have and in the interest of loving one another and keeping each other safe. So if you do feel... Uh, you know, that you might still be a risk in that area, then please, you know, keep masks, keep distance, protect others. Think of that in that process, okay? Also, we are um, still, our student and children's ministries are maintaining their mask requirements, so that is uh, ages 5 through 17, and that includes Axiom as well. Okay, one other thing I wanted to make uh, you all aware of, we uh, had yesterday a spring cleanup here, and um, we were hoping to get 15 to 20 people out. We did not get that. Uh, we actually got 30 people out. So that was, uh, was pretty good. And I'll tell you, I mean, they went around the whole property. Somebody reported that one person uh, dug through found the center of the earth. So, you know, but a lot of good work was done and we appreciate that. It really just helps to get the season going. You know, the summer season, church looks good. So thank you all for, for all your help on that. I want to welcome those of you online as well in our live stream. Today we're going to be kicking off a series um, I've entitled The Word Made Flesh. Um, Get that from the Gospel of John. Um, John wrote his Gospel, which is basically a story of Jesus Christ, but there's so much more to it than a story or what you might think of as a biography, and that's what I wanted to walk through in these next four weeks. Let's just spend some time doing it. The best way that I can really start this is by beginning where John began, the beginning of his Gospel. So starting in John chapter 1, if you will stay with me and listen, this, this are the, these are the scriptures of the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son 
who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Father, I ask in this time, God, that you would um, open our hearts and minds. We're so thankful to be present here as we've already expressed. We're thankful also for the tithes and the offerings that are given, God. We ask that you continue to guide us with wisdom as we uh, do your work, God, on your behalf. But today we ask right now that you would open our hearts and minds and our spirits in particular to what you would say from your words. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. John begins here. In fact, what's interesting to me about these first 18 verses of his gospel is the entire gospel or good news about Jesus Christ, what God did for us in Jesus, is all right here. And we're going to unpack that in the next few weeks. But what is particularly amazing to me in this is that John knew fairly well by the leading of the Spirit that you've got to start at the beginning. You've got to start at the starting point. If you don't start there, you might miss things. You know, If you get started in the wrong direction or at the wrong place, you're going to end up in the wrong place. And he knew this full well, and so he lays out for us this whole snapshot of this one who's called the Word. This is Jesus at the very beginning. You know, my family and I, one of the places we like to vacation is um, it's a great place to go where it's only a few hours away. You can easily get four kids there without too many. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you can pretty much be at something that's like the ocean. And that, of course, is the west coast of Michigan. We really like to go out towards Lake Michigan, some great towns there, Ludington and others. And, of course, Lake Michigan, beautiful water, uh, no sharks. That's a plus, okay? And, uh, and just enjoy just spending some time there. Beautiful beaches out there, too. But, of course, when all of us take a vacation like that, one of the things we tend to do, one of the things we look forward to, is we lay in the sun, right? We lay in the sun. And that, of course, is enjoyable because not only is it relaxing, and of course you get to rock that great sports tan, right? But there's more going on, though, in that moment that we don't tend to think about. I mean, when you're in the, the, the presence of the sun, you're experiencing warmth. It's, it's, it's keeping you warm, and of course, warmth means life. It's giving you vitamin D. We all know some of the science behind this, that it actually in, you know, in, imbues and infuses nutrients into your body. And we get life from that as well. The sun changes you when you're in its presence. You don't have to do much, right? You just really need to see it and respond to it, and it will do a lot. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, in a lot of cases, th this is a, a truism of, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, of our faith as well, our faith in Christ or even of the Christian faith. In fact, a man named C.S. Lewis, Christian writer, said it this way. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You see, it's the starting point by which you not only are provided warmth and nutrients in life, but also it allows you to see everything around you. It allows you to see life correctly so you know what's really there. And that is really the case of the, the, uh, the Word of God, Christ but in particular right now, this Gospel of John. In fact, I like the way that N.T. Wright and Michael Bird put it. They said, the Gospel of John is a big book of faith. It's about believing, not just because of the remarkable signs Jesus did, but because one accepts its verdict, that God sent Jesus. Jesus is God's Son. And then the Son returned to the Father. And then the Father sent the Spirit of His Son. The Gospel calls us to faith, a rich Deep faith, an energetic faith, a faith that abides 
in Jesus. A faith that can survive denials, doubts, difficult times. A faith that can overcome the world because Jesus has already overcome it for us. You see? So this gospel, or the scripture in general, that tells us about Jesus, it's, it's more than a rule book. It's even more than a biography. In fact, I would say from the Old Testament, from the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book in the scripture, all the way through to the New Testament, the entire Bible is really about seeing Jesus. That Jesus is presented as not only an answer to life, but a way, the way to see things and experience what God means for us to experience. And I think that's very important as a starting point because nowadays we see things very differently. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there are many different ways in which we're beginning to see the world around us and the ways in which we're beginning to interact with one another. And you could talk about many different terms and understandings of that, but I want to offer four to you today because I believe they're guiding a lot of what we're doing in the world today, societally, politically, uh, relationally, in every other way. And the four concepts I would give you that I believe are out there is this. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Autonomism is one. Autonomism is the idea that we are our own law. We are our own, in a sense, creator of our own world. We create the world around us. We decide what is going to be true and false, what's right and wrong. It is our world to create. We are masters of our domain, and we need no other to dictate or tell us what to do or even suggest. We can handle it on our own, and we are the final word. That's autonomism, autonomy, the aloneness of that standing alone. Gnosticism is an, it's an ancient idea and it has many different flavors, but here's the basic thing, one of those flavors that I think is out there today, and that is the idea that, that the body and the soul are separate and, and that the soul is good, but the body didn't come necessarily from the same place. And so what we can do is we can treat our body any way we want to. We can act out in any way we want. We can uh, view it in any way we want, and that has no effect on the soul whatsoever, no consequences that somehow they can be separated or one ignored and just we take any action based on what we feel. Anti-legalism or legalism is another idea um, that we, we, we deal with this one a lot in the church, but I think sometimes we really don't deal with it in our lives. It's the idea that in a sense we, we know the truth, we know what's right, but we get to a place where we're kind of holier than thou. You know, we look at others and since they don't know what we know, then therefore that gives us the right to stand in judgment, to stand in a place of uh, uh, cynicism or, or, or arrogance or anger towards them. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that there is no truth and there is no right and wrong, but it's when we begin to cross the line and start to think that that applies to the rest of the world around us, but that we're not somehow part of that same world, and we begin to take that throne of judgment in others' lives, legalism comes in. And then there's, of course, egoism. The idea that at the foundation of everything, our, our own choices in life, our own decisions, even our own moral code, self-interest is what should drive it. My self-interest is what drives all of that. And so you see, when you put all of these things together, you end up with a very isolated, a very self-centered, a very angry, uh, a very void an empty place to be. And I got a question for you. Do you see any of this happening today? 
Is any of this driving the way this world is treating one another, the way that we're living? And again, when I ask that question, let's be careful that we're not saying we see this in the world out there. Do we see this in the world in which we are a part? Because this has, all of these have the ability to infuse and to bleed in and to tempt anyone to move in these directions. And so what I feel is what, God, what John is telling us in his gospel is that Jesus is the antidote in a way to all of this idea, to all of these ideas. He's the opposition of all of those ways in which we might identify. And so John begins and even continues by presenting to us the identity of Jesus. In fact, there's many different ways that when you study a book of the Bible, you can kind of cross-cut it and decide how does it carve up and what do the chapters mean and what are the themes, and I think you should. When you, when you study Scripture, that's a good practice to go in and really understand the big picture and not just hunt and peck a verse here or there. It makes a difference. One of the ways I'd like to present to you, I think that you can look at his entire gospel about Jesus, is in this flow because the gospel of John is all about who Jesus is and how he changes who we are. Chapter 1 is about his identity. We just looked at that. And then it flows into chapters 2 through 12 where we begin to see people who don't like that identity and they begin to challenge that identity. Chapters 13 through 17 are the point when he gets very close with his, his disciples right before a, a, a very dark night when he's going to go to the cross. And it's all about him grounding his disciples in his identity. Chapters 18 through 19, he's taken to that cross and he is condemned for his identity. And then finally, chapters 20 and 21 tell us about how he confirms his identity. It's all about him. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we make the subtle error of beginning to try to understand how God is relevant to my life today instead of asking the question, how am I relevant to what God is doing, what God has said, and allow him to shape who we are? And so it begins with who Jesus is. It begins with his identity. And so I think it's no mistake that John begins the way he does. In fact, I have two verses here. If you look at the very a book, first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the book of creation, it tells us, in the beginning, God. So God, began, God was always there. He didn't start. He didn't begin. In the beginning, he was there. And what did he do? He created the heavens and the earth, we're told. It's the first verse of Genesis, very first verse of the, of, of the Bible. Do you think it's an accident that John starts his gospel with the words, in the beginning was the word? I think he might be trying to make a parallel between old and new here and who this person's, who he is and what his identity is. Would you agree? You know, in fact, um, you think about what he's saying about how old this person is. It's pretty amazing and eye-opening. Uh, many of you know I, I, I play violin, and I always get a kick out of asking anybody, but particularly smaller kids, I get a kick out of asking younger kids how old my violin is. And sometimes I've had them say, like, oh, 10 years old? And I'll say, no, it's actually a little bit older than that. And they look at me and they go, 20 years old? I said, you're going to have to go a lot higher than that. And they kind of puzzle on this for a while, and they're thinking, how old, really old? 40 years old? I'm thinking, I'm older than that. <laughs> Can you go a little higher, please? And then they are amazed when I tell them that they're looking at an instrument that's 280 years old. 
And it's hard to wrap your heads around that, isn't it? Where were we when that instrument came into being? Where was our grandparents? How about our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents? Maybe we're getting closer at this point. But that is a drop in the bucket compared to who we're talking about here. Because no matter how far back you trace time, you'll never find when he began, because he began time. That's who we're talking about here. In the beginning was the Word. He was God who created all. In fact, if that isn't convincing enough, because there are some people out there who want to deny that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and somehow they tried. I was just talking to somebody between service that met with a particular person, comes from a particular uh, mindset that says, no, he's not God, and tries to explain that way. All you got to do is read a couple more verses. It says, he created all things. Without him, nothing was created. Only the Creator can do that. That's who we're talking about. But it's not just that he's God, because many people can have many different ideas about God, but what John is telling us here is it's so important that we understand God, who God really is, because it shapes everything about us. And so John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, and I've added those brackets to clarify who he's talking about because it's important to see this. He says, no one has ever seen God the Father, watch the flow, but the one and only Son who is himself God, he's divine, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made the Father known. So what he's saying is we have this one here who is divine completely, and yet is in close relationship with his Father, so close and intimate that he alone can reveal who the Father is to us. You will never see God the Father. He's spirit. He's eternal. You can't see him. To see him, it would practically bring death to you. It would bring death to you. But you can see him in a way that the Son reveals him. That's who he is. And there have been many groups through the years that have tried to deny this. I just mentioned one that tries to kind of relegate Jesus to a created thing. There's another uh, viewpoint out there that tries to say that though Jesus may be God, that in fact, not, he's not separate from his father, but in a way, God was kind of somebody like, you know, had a Tom Cruise complex and decided to wear different outfits. So one minute he's acting like the father, and the next minute he decides to act like the son, and then the next minute he's acting like the Holy Spirit, depending on whatever part he wants to play in the moment. That is missing and misunderstanding who God is completely. And in fact, John deals with both here. Because in that verse, we see him affirm that not only is he fully God, the creator of all things, but yet he is in a separate distinction in his person with the, with the Father and in close, intimate relationship with him. Why is that important? Because right at the heart of our creator is relationship. It's not autonomy. It's not standalone. It's the idea of being in relationship with another. If that flows out of God, how should that shape each and every one of us? This is why Jesus goes on to say, you continue to see this in his gospel. He tells all of those who are around him, he says, if you receive me, then I and my Father will make our home with you. We'll come. Do you see the relationship? He says, then I'll send my, the Spirit to you, and he'll be a comforter, and he'll guide you and be an advocate for you. Do you see the relationship? God is about relationship. Not just laws and rules and regulations, but to do these things in the context of a relationship. 
And this is very important because autonomy, when we miss this, it leads to some scary areas, especially when we want autonomy from God. When we want to cut God off and say, I don't need that idea, I'm going to do it myself. I am sufficient to define my own domain. We, run, we end up with some serious problems. In fact, the problem is actually connected in the verse we just saw. There's a key in this verse. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, Right? That word beginning in the original language that God gave us, it was Greek. That's what he revealed it in. It's the word arche. Do you know where we get a word like architect from that word? So think about what architect means. It means the chief designer. It means somebody who has a plan, has a purpose, puts it all together, and knows how it all should work and harmonize. Okay? That's what, that's what the word means. And it's, it's as if... The, the, the verse is saying that Jesus is the architect. He is the source, the beginning. He created it all and crafts it all. It's a top-down design. He has the blueprint, and he knows how to make it work. But today, we reject that. Today, the idea is that there is no source. There is no beginning. There is no chief designer. There is no creator. Everything's bottom-up. It's undirected. It's just kind of growing without purpose or without any direction. And we toss God aside. We, we try to remake God. We try to remake the world in our own image. And how is that working out for us, by the way? Are, 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 we, are we caring more about each other today or less? Are we seeing each other more as, as valuable human beings, valuable beings, or are we seeing each other as, as just things in the way? Are we seeing more clearly today? Do we even know where we're heading as we recreate God in our own image. And believe me, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, this is a temptation to all of us. And where does it lead? As each one of us, 300 million in this nation alone, are creating our own gods. 330 million gods, each our own, and all are at odds. We shout about heaven's pearly gates, but we brush off people's coming fate. Same old shows and actors' names, but their scripts have all been changed. Ethics, morals, what are they? Facts and fiction, they're the same. Up is down, left is right, forward's back, blind is sight. If I might make a suggestion, say we may be lost direction. That's where we're going. And in this directionless pursuit, as that poem says, we slide into this darkness. We slide into anger and cynicism and self-centeredness because there's no point of reference anymore. We've cut off the architect. And we end up in a place like Steve Turner says in another poem. He says, if chance is the father of all flesh, not God, but if chance is the father of all flesh, then disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And so when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, people go looting, bombs blast school, it's but the sound of man worshiping his maker. Where are we going as we cut off God and we cut off the relational God? God knew that this would be a problem for us. He knew that humanity has a tendency to go this way we did from the beginning. And so he responded in the way that he knew could solve that problem for us in a unique way that only he would do. God responded by becoming a human being. And we see a parallel again. In Genesis 1, we saw that after God created, this chief architect designed everything and created purpose, he then said, so God created human beings in his image. Do you see that? He created human beings. But that created moment fell into disrepair 
when we sinned and began to break off that relationship with God. And so it's, again, no accident that John brings in this new form of creation, what God is doing. What he once made that is broken, he's now remaking. And he says, the word became human and made his home among us. And so John is laying out for us that the one through whom the world was made now becomes the one through whom the world will be rescued and remade. The world that was lost by those humans created in God's image is the world that will be rescued again by the one who is God in flesh. As one writer said, God the creator came in person to do what only he could do. He invites us to be still and know this, to look again into the human face of Jesus of Nazareth until the awesome knowledge comes over us that we are looking into the human face of the living God. This is what John is calling us to do. Jesus was the most human a human could be because when God became flesh, he didn't become less God. He, he always had access to the ways that we couldn't, the ways that understood how we were meant to be, how we were to live in unity with God. He always had that access, and yet in one person, he was also completely human. These were united in a mystery, in a unique person. And this person alone, becoming flesh, didn't make him less God, but it made him the best human you can be. And that's what he lived out from day one to day end. And so he did two things with that, if you think about it. The first thing that God becoming flesh, the word becoming flesh did, is he dealt away with this Gnostic idea that is still alive today. This idea that we can just use the body or treat the body or see our body completely separate from the soul that God gives. We see this all the time. It's, it started many years back. Many people probably remember the phrase, the hookup culture, when we believed that people could just kind of come together and there'd be no consequences of that. There'd be no, no soul pain that would happen when this happens all the time. We just pretended that that couldn't exist. And we got casual with intimacy. We've had questions about our gender. We've had lately questions where people are saying you can't call somebody a mother, it's a birthing person. These are not political statements. Understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have lost our compass in terms of what God designed and Jesus comes along and shows that these things are inseparable. And I realize that there are struggles in those areas. I realize those are deep questions in those areas. But in a way, that's what Jesus came to do, is to heal those deep areas, to help us understand that God does have a plan, and though fallen and broken though this world may be, he did design us soul and body. And Jesus came and showed that those are united. God's intention is to unite those inseparably. And they have meaning and definition. And then he came and made his home with us, we were told. That word actually comes from kind of an Old Testament word when God came and tabernacled with the people. All the people were around the tent and God came in and dwelt that in a special way. Now he was tabernacling in flesh so, so we could meet with him. And my question, though, is how does he do that today? In what way is he making his home with us and tabernacling among us today? I think Jesus answered that question because there's a way in which he wants the word, if you will, to be made flesh in you and I. Not in the same way he was. He was unique. He was God in flesh. But there's something that he wants to do in us in a way in which he does it. And he prayed this in John 17 when he was praying to his father in a moment of intimacy with his father and prayed for us and said, Father, sanctify them. That means set them apart for your purposes. 
Make them right with you. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's word, his written word, reflects the word made flesh. It, he, he brought that word to us that it might do in us and transform in us through the power of his spirit to make us look like him. And so he asked that we would learn from that. Do you ever notice how children learn from watching their parents Right? You got, a, you got a baby, infants in here, you see them afterwards, you see them with their, their, their parents, and they're just staring at their parents. It's interesting, an infant always knows the voice, even from a young age, knows the voice of their parent and watches everything they do because they learn so much from that relationship. Do you think that might be mirroring something about God who made us in his image? Do we know his voice? Is it around us? Are we hearing it? Are we reading it so it's in our ears? And are we, are we looking closely at it? I think sometimes when we think of, you know, uh, uh, natural birth, we know that 18 years old and we're an adult now, right? So after you live so many years, you don't need your parents anymore. You're independent. But I don't think it works that way spiritually. Jesus said we need to be born again. He said it in this gospel. And what he meant is that we have to spiritually come into a new place where God reveals something to us by, by his spirit and his work and transforms us by who Jesus is. And then we begin a new relationship, much like an infant, where we now need to be dependent on the face of our Father, looking at Him, listening to Him. And I don't think that ends in 18 years. So I don't know if, if you've been, never walked with God before, this is a great time to start, start. Or I don't know if you've walked with Him for a year. Or I don't know if you've walked with Him for 20 years, and you think you're kind of beyond this now because you're an adult. I don't think it works that way. I think in, in the Bible, it becomes pretty clear. The Scripture tells us we always need to be dependent on God and on His Spirit. And His Word is there to be a voice in our lives in that way. Do we spend time looking at it that way? You know, we have Bible studies we offer here. One is actually going through the, the, the Gospel of John right now in their own way. I invite you to go to the men's or women's Bible studies here. There's other ways that we can connect in other ministries, Axiom and, and Light Company and others. But, but I'll tell you, even beyond those, are you spending time with your Father there's nothing more uh, intimate than when that child is just with their parents. And that's what God is calling us to do. I would challenge you even in these next four weeks, read the Gospel of John. I put that out there to you. Read one chapter a day and you will be through this Gospel before we end this four-week series. I'm curious, what will God say to you? When you understand what he's saying in a moment, pray and thank him and talk with him. When you don't understand what you just read, pray and ask him for understanding. But get into a relationship with him. And who knows, maybe my inbox will get flooded with, you know, thoughts and questions, and that's okay. I'm, I'm up for that. I'd like to hear them. So this is, what, this is what Jesus shares with us. And then the Gospel of John in the first chapter goes on to tell us that this one who became flesh, the Word who is God, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace, like wave upon wave on that ocean side, just flowing over us. And then he says this statement, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, it's hard to see it in that, in our English version when we see that, but let me tell you again, those words have particular meaning. God, in that original language that he used, there's a word there, grace and truth came through. It's the exact same word that was used when it said the word became flesh. 
And it's this idea that whereas Moses was a mediator, he came to give a law, a set of rules, and share that with us. The law is good. It's holy. It's just. It's right. It's, it, it reveals God's will and his purposes. It works in our life. He came as a mediator to pass it on. But he didn't create it. He just passed it on. But grace and truth emanates from Jesus Christ. It originates from him. He's like the sun. And if you're just in his presence, it will radiate upon you and bathe you and change you. It will bring truth into your life that replaces relativism. All truth is my truth. It replaces that with God's purposes and God's plans. Not always an easy path, but as we're there, he transforms that. In his presence, he replaces legalism and that judgmental attitude, that place without mercy and without compassion and understanding, and he replaces it with grace where we still uphold the truth, but we now have graciousness and mercy and compassion and even understanding through that work in us that we need all those things too. This is what he does. It emanates from him. And he transforms us more than the law alone ever could. Not that he goes against the law, but he fulfills it in us in a greater way. That's his desire. That's what he desires to do. He makes love even in a new way. It's always been there, but it's interesting that John in his first letter in 1 John tells us, I'm giving you an, a commandment, an old commandment, brothers and sisters, love one another. He said, but yet I'm writing you a new commandment. It's an interesting statement, and when you look at it there, you wonder, well, what is he saying? He's saying this commandment is fulfilled in an even greater way in Jesus. He will help us to know how deeply to love another, even when we disagree. How deeply to love another, even when we might know in our broken heart that they're caught and trapped in sin. How deeply to love one another when we rejoice or when we cry. This is what he'll do in our lives because he emanates grace and truth. And so he deals with all of autonomism and Gnosticism and legalism, but how does he deal with egoism? That self-centeredness that my self-interest drives every decision. And that is in Philippians 2. Because that gives us a snapshot of the gospel much like the gospel of John does. And as the worship team comes out, we're going to be spending a moment in reflection on Jesus. I ask you to add this to that reflection. Because this very one, God himself, the word who became flesh, a human being, to dwell with us, dealt with our ego by doing the greatest thing God ever could do, and that was to take the path of self-sacrifice. Philippians 2 tells us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see that? In your relationships. Who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. God did this. Being made in human likeness, the word became flesh. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this is Lord. This is our God. This is the true God. And this is a snapshot of him that the path to glory is the path through self-sacrifice. The path to self-validation was the path of self-sacrifice. That is what God wanted us to know and see. That is who he is. That is what he wants to shape in you and I. See how important it is to start at the right place and to know who God really is? This God that takes this autonomous standing alone, ugly thing today where we act like we need no other and, and he replaces that with relationship at his very core. This God who takes this idea that we can do whatever we want with our bodies and that won't have any impact on our souls or on another's. And he shows us how there's a purpose and a design and a union between the soul and the flesh because the word became flesh. This God who takes legalism, this, this self-centered, haughty, arrogant position where we might preach about heaven's for, uh, pearly gates, but we brush off people's coming fate. Do we really care what happens to them? Or are we there just to judge? And he replaces that with grace and truth. Truth and grace. And this egoistic idea that it's our self-identity at the bottom of everything that matters. And he dissolves that in self-sacrifice. This is our God. And if we see the Son, it will change and transform us. The real question is, do we see him? Do we see him? I believe that that can happen. I believe that God can do great things. And we will see those things if we see him. Because those things begin in us. That's where he does it. So we're going to be exploring more of this over the next couple of weeks. Things we just sang about. More about the cross. More about the spirit. All of this. But in the meantime, I challenge you. Get into his word. Maybe any place in the Bible if you want this week. Redevote yourself to that. But maybe the Gospel of John. Let's take it a chapter at a time. Every day. And we'll see where that goes. Okay? Next week we'll come back together. In the meantime, let's go out. Let's get in the presence of the Son. And we'll see what he does in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for all that you are doing, Lord. Remind us that your work, first and foremost, is not out there, but it's in here. It's what you do in each of us, God, as you shape us to become an image of you, God. Your word enfleshed in our lives, changing and transforming us. And so in that spirit, God, we pray you carry us forward today. And it's in your name, Jesus, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.